Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good. Got my uh, V Bible here. My uh, King James Bible here, of course. Um, it's obviously bigger because it's better. Uh, before we get into uh, before we get into what we have this morning, uh, we're still in our series, uh, "Not Today, Satan," and for the next three weeks, is not my marriage. So we'll be talking about marriage for the next three weeks, and we're going to take an intentionally kind of uh, telescopic view today, and then over the next few weeks. Um, funnel down or distill down into some uh, more, um, I would say, pinpoint things about, about marriage. But there is something of extreme importance that we must deal with first and foremost this morning. And that's uh, an issue that came up last week and um, just is not set right in my spirit all week. So Pastor Corey's going to come up. Um, Right, Pastor Corey? <laughs> Pastor Corey's going to come up. Um, and uh, y'all are nervous, I can tell. And I'm just waiting because I, well, I love the anticipation in the room. But, um, you know, this is our look. Give it up. <laughs> yeah. You better rethink that decision. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Pastor Corey. Our lead pastor here, you know, we all know and love him, and he uh, preached for us last week on not my friends, right? Um, but he told this super, super sad story about how the kids in his youth group dropped him during a trust fall, right? And um, I'll tell you what, I, I can't have my lead pastor with trust issues. Um, so if I could get like, uh, no, Billy, on. could you come up for me, please? Come on. Billy and um, maybe uh, Dustin, could you help me? And Jim, could you help me? And uh, Aldo and Jordan and uh, yeah, come on up, come help me. Like how, how many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six. Give me uh, yeah, just enough to drop them. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, give me. Uh, give me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, let's have uh, maybe like you, 37 more. <laughs> yeah, like 30, 37 more. Uh, Jake, Jake Staley. All right, yeah, get a police officer up here um, just in case it all goes wrong. Uh, uh, Liz Daniels in the house for medical attention afterwards. Um, all right, so uh, here's what we're going to do. Um, you guys are going to get close enough to just cross, and, cross and, and hold like wrists. Of each other, yeah, not hands, but wrists. Um, and then I'll, I'll pray over that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jake, Jake, uh, actually, no, just do with the person across from you, right? And you're just gonna create a web, right? So no one falls here. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so now Pastor Corey's going to turn around this way. Come on. Uh, in the name of Jesus, right? So you're going to he, heels, heels on, the, on the back edge there. 
All right, so the, the number one rule in trust falls is that you're not allowed to bend your knees. All right? So, uh, 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 so, so you can't, you're not allowed to bend your knees because this is what we're going to do here, right? We, we want our pastor to know that he can trust us. Amen? That he can trust us. And I, I just can't, I can't handle him not trusting us, right? Or having these trust issues. I do have trust. So, you trust us. Today right. it changes. Yes. Not today, Satan. Not today. All right. Okay, so uh, we're going we're gonna to fall back. And then we'll do the, like, the countdown, the uh, three, two, one countdown. And he's going to come up. Uh, and he's going to come all the way back, and uh, you guys... This isn't, like, counterproductive. You're going to let me fall and be like, see, we should all have... Yeah, trust only God, right? Uh... <laughs> okay, are we ready? Three, two, one, go! Go! <laughs> come on! Ready? Okay, ready to get? Ready? Ready? You got to do it this time. Ready? Three, two, one, go! <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. That was like the the most sh- the, the shallowest trust fall I've ever seen. Like, like what? <laughs> like we were at a solid forty. Solid 45 degrees there on the trust fall. That's all right. We're going to get there. All right. Um, not my, not today, Satan, not my marriage. Um, you know, and I don't even know if I've ever told my wife this. Um, I brought, this isn't actually my King James Version Bible. Um, this is my wedding album. Um, and my wife and I, my and I have been uh, married for 14 years this, this summer. Um, yeah, and, uh, and she is a beautiful woman, and I love her very much. Um, we don't have a perfect marriage, uh, but we have a very good marriage. I, I have no problem uh, confidently saying that, that our, our marriage is strong, and uh, we love each other, and uh, we love the Lord, and uh, we, uh, we are together 100% in everything okay um, so I brought this up to kind of remind me and just to remind us of what we're doing here I'm not even really going to use it if you want a good laugh come up and take a look at it earlier because by the look of the pictures apparently I got married when I was 10 um, <laughs> but I've never told my wife this one of my favorite things to do or one of my favorite aspects of all weddings is when they do one of those songs like the dancing songs where like everyone who's married comes out on the dance floor and they start to dance and like if you've been married one year go sit down right and then the last couple that's standing right has been married the longest amount of time and this you know everyone claps and they're you know it's like it's kind of like it's just a ah the the fighter in me doesn't want to say that it's beautiful and like gets me every time but it gets me every time you know it's awesome all right, so if you're married, I want you to stand up. All right. 
if you've been married um, one year or less, sit down. We got, if you've been married uh, three years or less, sit down. Uh, five years or less. Uh, eight years or less. Okay. Ten years or less. Here we go. Uh, Thirteen years or less. I'm standing up as long as I can here. Uh, uh, Fifteen years or less. Eighteen years or less. Okay, it's getting real. Um, Twenty years or less. 22 years or less. 25 years or less. Hey now, come on now. 27 years or less. All right. 28 years. 29 years. 30 years. 32 years or less. 32 years or... Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, math is hard. Math is hard. Uh, uh, 35 years or less. 37 years or less. 38 years. 40 years. Yes. Uh, 42 years. 44 years. All right. Got uh, the ultimate battle, Melquist versus Staley's. Who will win? 45 years. Oh, both of them. All right. Congratulations to you. Um, it's a beautiful thing, and um, I know that uh, uh, in all seriousness, as, as fun as those types of things are, I also know that they're um, just like it was with um, when Katie preached on uh, Mother's Day. Motherhood is complicated, is messy. There's a lot of there's there's a lot of layers, right? There's a lot of layers to marriage. And the reason there's a lot of layers to marriage is because there's a lot of layers to singleness. And uh, there's, uh, there's a, it's incredibly complicated because um, some of us are married and don't want to be. Some of us are not married and do want to be. Um, some of us have been married but aren't now. And there's all kinds of levels of, of, of pain, of shame, of guilt, of regret associated with all of those realities. And I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm sensitive to those, okay? Um, but I don't believe that when we talk about marriage, that it's only for married people. Uh, I believe that 
that when we preach, when we preach the truth of God's word, um, when we preach the truth of God's word, we, we, we preach a truth that's universal, right? So when we teach about parenting or children, right, um, we, we preach and teach a message that's universal even to those who don't have children, or about marriage, even to those who aren't married or were married are not now, or whatever the situation that you find yourself in, right? Uh, we believe that the Spirit of God is so incredibly insightful and powerful and intentional in your heart in life that even messages that are not directly related to, to, a, to an application in your life right, can speak to your heart, can change who you are, right? can change your relationship maybe with someone who is dealing with or experiencing that specific area that we're preaching on, okay? So um, my, my encouragement to you is that even if you are not married, even if, albeit so unintentionally, please know my heart, there may be some points of like pain, or stinging in these next three weeks, right? Stay with me. S stick with us, okay? You will not be disappointed. And God's going to transform hearts. God's going to transform minds. Sometimes that's even harder, right? God's going to transform marriages, right? God's going to transform perspective. God's going to, God will transform. I promise you that. Uh, I asked myself the question several times um, over the last few weeks as I've been preparing for this and praying on this. Um, what does God, what does God want of us, or um, specifically, what does God want of me in my marriage? What what does He want me to do? Uh, who does He want me to be? What is what is the type of what is the type of Christ-like? What is the type of character? That he wants me to, um, to exude in my, in my marriage. Both for the sake of my family and my wife specifically. But more importantly as a, as a, as a man who wants to have a, a marriage that is worthy of uh, emulating. What does he want of me? You know, and you, I, I, it's easy to come up with, with tip, prototypical answers that you would think. Well, well God wants me, to be, um, he wants me to be loving to my wife. And he wants me to have a heart full of compassion and mercy. Wants me to be really good at forgiving, right? Wants me to be humble and gentle. God wants me to be a, a good listener. He wants me to be patient. Part of being a good husband is being a good father. So he wants me to be a good father. But, and all of these things are absolutely true. But by and large, we could say that about each one of us separate from our marriage, right? That things like patience and forgiveness and humility and compassion and mercy and love, they're all very important attributes that we all must work by, that the Holy Spirit is working in to sanctify our lives in, right? We all want to be, we all should desire to be more forgiving, to be more humble, to be more compassionate, to be more patient and understanding. And so it's not as if these things even are universal to marriage, but there is something I believe that the scripture says is universal to marriage, and that's where I want to start this series about marriage. Not today, and not my marriage. You can't have it. 
You can't have it. You can't go near it. You can't touch it. It is off limits. There's not a relationship in all of my life that I will fight harder for. There's not a relationship in all my life that I will protect more. At almost, at almost no cost can you have it. God's desire for our marriages, God's desire for um, your relationship with either your husband or your wife, God's desire for marriage is oneness. Oneness. Not a characteristic that we often um, talk about in regards to marriage, although we might hear it spoken of either at weddings or in uh, you know, the off uh, uh, marriage book or something like that. But we don't talk about oneness a whole lot. But, um... uh, John, can you turn the heat down a little bit, please? <laughs> thing on or um... oneness, okay? Oneness is. The deepest form of relationship that two people can have. Biblically speaking, oneness is the, the, the deepest form of relationship that anyone can have. We have close friends. We have very close family members. The oneness that is shared between um, husband and wife, man and woman, is the deepest form of relationship that we can possibly have. And there's, there's reasons that, that that is so. Not just because I said so, right? Uh, but because the, the, the scripture describes relationship between husband and wife in similar ways that it describes the relationship between Jesus and the church, in similar ways that it describes the relationship between Jesus and his heavenly father, and it almost universally describes the depth of that relationship as one of oneness, singularity, not being divided by anything at any point ever. In fact, if we look into the scripture and we look at places like um, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 30, we'll see that um, this is just one example in the Gospel of John where, where Jesus reminds, uh, or where, where Jesus declares the... The, the level of intimacy or the deepness and closeness of relationship that he and his heavenly father have. Verse 29, Jesus says, My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And here in verse 30, uh, a few brief words, six words, I and the father am one. He goes throughout the rest of the Gospel of John, especially describing um, just exactly the nature of his ministry. And Jesus is countless over countless over countless times saying, um, I, I only do what my Father tells me to do. I only do what my Father tells me to do. If, if you accept the Father, you accept me. If you accept me, you accept the Father. The Father and I are one. You cannot separate us from one another. Oneness 
as it, as it pertains to our relationships with our husbands and wife is, is rooted in, is, is founded in, not in some pop culture idea of what will make the best marriage, but is rooted in the very Trinitarian nature of God himself. It is a, it is a part of who he is. It is, a, it is the way in which he relates to himself and then by extension, a way in which he relates to us. Oneness, as it's described, um, as it's described in, in Scripture, like we said, is, uh, is, is reflective of the Trinity, the relationship between the Father and the Son, Jesus. The Father and I are one, Jesus says, in the Gospel of John. But it's also, it's also rooted in the way in which Jesus interacts with, leads, is head of you and me and us as the church. It's a strange thing that we see in Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul is talking to the Ephesians about the relationship between husband and wife. He's, he's kind of unpacking all of these things about the relationship between husband and wife, about, about respect and about, and about submission and about um, sacrifice and about service and, uh, and, about, and about love and about how, about how a, man, a father will leave his family and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And then he says this, like, seems like completely like Paul somehow got the sections mixed up or something like that. And he says, I'm going to tell you a great mystery. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. I'm going to tell you a great mystery, he says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Sounds like oneness. Something that we're going to talk about from Genesis here in just a few minutes. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Like, hold up. What? What is that? What are you? Paul, like, it doesn't make any sense, right? And, and, and um, for purposes of this morning, we're going to totally get into Ephesians 5, right? But we need to make the point here that oneness in a marriage relationship goes much, much, much deeper, um, infinitely deeper, eternally deeper, straight into the nature and character of God in his relationship with himself between father and son and the relationship between Jesus and his church. And there is something about marriage that is so um, unequivocally bonded to who God is as a person that we can't ignore it. So if we go to Genesis chapter 2, we get an idea here of the origin of the, I guess I'll just say the oneness relationship between man and wife, husband and wife, man and woman.
Uh, we're going to start in verse um, 21. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. So, into a deep sleep. And while he was. Is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Listen, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked. And they felt no shame. Oneness in the relationship between husband and wife, man and woman, is rooted even into the way in which God has created us. That, that, we, that we are united and bound by flesh, this, this uniting where, where two become one. We see this, we hear this in our, in our uh, marriage ceremonies all of the time, right? It's a regular part of kind of the, just the vocabulary and uh, the parlance that we use, right? Uh, and, and the two shall become one, you united together, right? And, and if, we're, if we're not careful, it's easy to kind of just poo-poo that as, oh, now we share the same name, right? We, have the, we, can, we can have a joint checking account now, right? We buy a house together. The woman takes the man's last name or vice versa. And okay, so now, now we're, we're one together. Two become one. What we need to realize is that, is that the way that God sees a married couple is with the same type of depth and sincerity in which the original in Genesis chapter 2, 21 through 25, uh, was that original oneness and unity was created. That when he, um, when he looks at Sherry and I, right? When he, when he looks upon our, our marriage, do, do we retain our individuality as people? Well, well, yeah, I'm Cameron, and that's Sherry, and we have different personalities and different likes and different dislikes, right? And we have different interests, right? We're not, we're not saying that we're actually, like, you get what I'm saying? There's individuality, but the way in which God perceives our spiritual and natural lives from here on out is that, is that we, we're not separate. We are, we are together. We are integrally linked with each other so much so that the language that is used is that the two have become one what? Flesh. That, so that removing my arm, removing my leg, removing a part of my body, splitting my body, that, 
that is what, that is what would, would happen spiritually. This ripping and tearing of what was once one, now two. And it's painful and it's hard and it, and it, and it makes you walk with a limp, right? That, that two become, become one, it's, there's, a, there's a permanence that's valued there. Now, obviously, God didn't take one of my ribs and place it in my wife, and that's how, you know, the, the, two, the two flesh have become one, right? There's, there's, there's definitive purpose here in the way that God works, right? And, and there still is an, an exchange of, an exchange of flesh that unites man and woman together to become one, the uh, the, the act of sex is the way in which God has you united man and woman to become one. Their literal, their literal flesh joined together in a, in, a, um, in a sort of rib sharing ceremony. This is why, right? This is why in the church... This is why in, in Christianity, this is why in Scripture, we declare the, the sacredness of sex. Not, not, because, not because we want to be like prudes, right? Not because it's dirty and we don't want to, and we don't want to talk about it. Not because, not because somehow it should be avoided, but because of the, the, the immense, immense, immense spiritual emotional, mental, and physical consequences that it has when flesh is joined with flesh. It goes beyond just the physical experience. It's deep down into the very purposes for which God has created oneness. And anytime that oneness is broken apart, it's just like my arm is removed from my body or my leg is removed and it causes pain and it causes it causes, makes me walk with a limp, right? I walk away wounded when I give myself to someone else in a physical manner, right? But have not given them my whole self. Have not, have not, have not entered into covenant to walk as one with them. It causes pain. And so the physical act of oneness coming together. Now, what is, what is oneness? This is a question, it's a, I mean, it, because I can tell you, Sherry and I are one. Unequivocally, without a doubt, 100%, she's my ride or die, right? We are one. But girl likes pickles, and I think they're nasty. Okay? Mm-mm. No pickles here. Mm-mm. Not that egg salad either. Mm-mm. Don't be feeding me egg salad when I come over to your house. I don't want any of that. Right? Write that down. No egg salad. <laughs> so oneness, right, does not mean 
uniformity. Okay? That, that we need to get on the table. Oneness does not equal uniformity. It doesn't mean that we have absolutely everything in common and that we always get along and that there's, there's never any tension, right? It's not what oneness is. Uh, what is oneness? Here's what I'm going to propose. Oneness is found in verse 25 of Genesis chapter 2. It's a description of oneness. It's like the ultimate um, newlywed um, cheer, uh, cheer verse. Newlyweds, newlyweds, woohoo! Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is what oneness is. Okay? Um, ultimate, ultimate vulnerability. There is no, there is no more vulnerable of a place that you can be than completely naked before another person. In all seriousness, like that is the, I mean, completely vulnerable. Nothing is hidden. It, everything is shared, right? Complete vulnerability. But what was, because they were one, God has made them one in the sharing of flesh. There was, a, um, there was an attitude in the midst of that ultimate vulnerability that was celebrated, not something that was like, it's kind of awkward. It's that there was no shame, right? There was, nothing was hidden. Everything was there. Everything was on display. Everything was, was for the other person. If, if, you had to, if, you, if we had to like distill it just a little bit more, we would say that there were, um, in that moment of their nakedness without shame, there were no secrets. You want to know what oneness is? You can, you re we really can, can sum it up kind of in, um, in one little way. Um, there's no secrets. Zero. No, I'm not talking about like, well, there's little secrets. No, no, there's no secrets. Oneness is when we can be with another person be with our spouse and have no secrets. Let me tell you what, uh, married people. The most dangerous thing, y'all listening? The most dangerous thing in your marriage is secrets. The, the most dangerous thing that you can carry with you in your marriage is a secret. There is, there is nothing that strikes at the heart of oneness more than a secret that you keep from your spouse. I'm not talking about like, well, I'm hiding her birthday gift and keeping it a secret. No, I didn't get you anything, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? There is nothing more damaging to your marriage 
than a secret. Well, if they knew everything, there is no way, no way that they would still love me. There is no way that they would be with me. There is, there is no way that we could maintain a good, we have a good marriage now. If, 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 if he knew all my secrets, if she knew all my secrets, our marriage would, would be destroyed. You see, no, not today, Satan. Not today. You're not going to convince me that, that, that hiding some of my nakedness Hiding some of my vulnerability from the, from the person that I have entered into an eternal covenant with is somehow going to destroy it. No, 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 not today. Because, because listen, you may think your marriage is good now and you're holding in a secret because you don't want to destroy it, but you have no idea what God has prepared for your marriage when you are completely unequivocally one with each other where there are no secrets where there is complete vulnerability where you live without shame and without guilt and without any like oh if they only knew see because where there is oneness where there are no secrets there is safety when you are one with your husband when you are one with your wife you are in the most humanly safe relationship or place you could ever be when there are no secrets you are more safe than you could ever possibly be there is nothing my wife does not know about me things that I would never things that I can barely write down about myself she knows and I and, and she stays right and because we have no secrets, I know that I am infinitely safe. I don't live in fear. I don't live in guilt. I don't live in shame. I can live in complete vulnerability. I can express truly and fully at every moment who I am truly am i am known even in my innermost parts i am known and listen there is nothing better than a secret free marriage that promotes safety and there is nothing more debilitating than when you live with secrets it's a prison it's a prison without walls now you may be um, 
you may be expressing a little bit of hesitancy at this moment, and I understand. Um, well, I would love to I would love to tell my spouse everything about me, but I'm not safe with them. I don't know if I even trust them with those things. I understand. I really do. And what I can say at this point, right, is that um, even with with scriptural foundation, right, if if you don't have a safe person, It, that does not prevent you from being a safe person. You know, there's, there's, a, certain, there's a certain level of responsiveness that we have to our, to our spouses, right? I mean, okay, maybe it's just my marriage, right? But when I know that when my wife and I when we get in like a little tiff, right? Doesn't happen very often, but when it does, um, like it takes me a little bit to be like, well, okay, I'm gonna take the high road, right? Or I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach like, I, uh, I need to humble myself, I'm ask for forgiveness, um, I need to admit where I was wrong. It takes, it takes a while. Sometimes a little bit for me to get to that place, right? And until I get to that place, I'm like fire with fire, right? Smart comic, smart comment. Sarcastic comment, sarcastic comment, right? Hurtful word, hurtful word, right? I can like, we, we, and we do this, right? And so when we are in relationships that are where, where, where we like, we know that our words, that our vulnerability, that our, our quote unquote nakedness is not safe, right? Then, then, then what is our natural response? When we know we're safe, we do not provide safe environments for them, right? And so it just becomes this vicious cycle where, 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 where there's no vulnerability, there's no oneness, there's, there's, there's nothing of, of, of productivity in the oneness arena, so to speak. But listen, even if you don't have a safe person you can be a safe person and for the maybe the first time in your marriage as your primary response when a moment of vulnerability comes up with your spouse that you can provide a safe place for them to be exactly who they are i'm not trying to change you i'm not judging you there's no guilt here there's no shame here i love you for who you are it's okay it's okay that you're afraid it's okay that you're angry. It's okay that you don't understand. It's okay that this isn't working out. It's okay you didn't get the job. It's okay you got fired from the job. It's okay. You're safe with me. What, what, what you will feel, I will feel. What you are carrying, I will carry. It, no, I'm not going to tell them. It's not going to go with them. I'm not going to tell my kids. I'm not going to tell my coworkers. You are, what you are dealing with, I am dealing with. We are safe together. We are not two, we are one. Listen, God desires oneness. 
is the unequivocal picture of the marriage relationship. He desires witness, complete vulnerability, no secrets, ultimate safety. He desires oneness. Satan. Hmm. In preparation and prayer for this this week, um, I was like, you know, there's, Satan has a strategy in marriages. Satan has a strategy to destroy marriages. And that strategy is a military strategy known as divide and conquer. Or divide and rule. Is the actual military. And this, it actually is a military strategy. Right? Um, and uh, because if God wants something together, where does Satan want it? If God wants um, complete vulnerability... And, and safety and no secrets, what does Satan want? He wants um, things that are hidden, right? Um, he wants the secrets, right? He wants to do everything that God wants. Satan wants the opposite, all right? Here are, here are the four universal military rules to divide and conquer, all right? This is, not, this is pulled out of a history book, all right? Uh, number one, in order to divide and conquer... We must create and encourage division within the enemy ranks. Divide and conquer. Create and encourage division in the enemy ranks. Number two, we must aid and promote those who would break up any alliances of our enemies. Oh, a person at work seeming to pay a lot of attention to you? This week? Maybe a flirty comment here, an offhand comment there, or oh, I want to grab lunch sometime, uh, maybe morph into a text message or a Facebook message, um, a phone call that was an accident, or, right? Aiding and promoting those who could break up any alliances. I better not, I, I can't. Um, another tactic of divide and conquer, or a facet of divide and conquer, uh, we must foster distrust. Any way that we can foster uh, a distrust among our enemy, uh, once, they, once they no longer trust each other, right, they'll, be, they'll begin to work independently. They'll, they'll, they'll no longer work together because they, they're not safe with each other. They'll start going in different directions, right? Fourth and finally is we must encourage meaningless expenditure that reduces the ability to mobilize elsewhere. You ever, um, you ever get into a point, married folk, where you feel like, uh, man, I am so busy doing so many other things. I'm going in like a million different directions. Work is busy. I'm so busy with the kids. I got all these house projects. Uh, pastors all want me to come serve at church. I got all these things going on, right? And man, I just like, ugh. at the end of the day, right? This is why it's a very common occurrence for empty nesters, right? To get to a point where all their children have moved out and they both say what? We don't even know each other. What, what were we doing all of those years? What were, we, what were we spending our time on? 
certainly weren't pouring into the oneness that God has given us. Meaningless expenditures that makes the ability to mobilize elsewhere. I, I mean, jeepers, creepers, you'd think I'd pull this right out of Proverbs, right? But this is like... Uh, next week, I'm going to talk maybe a little bit more specifically um, about some instances where Satan can use certain aspects of the divide and conquer strategy to destroy oneness in your marriage. Things like um, when uh, creating or encouraging divisions, aiding and promoting, um, yeah, creating and encouraging divisions within the ranks. Yeah, um, you know, encouraging division, creating division. Um, let, me, let me get an amen and a hand raise if you're a married person and a really small thing turned into a big argument once. Super small, right? Like, like minuscule, and like all of a sudden it's like, right? Let's 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 create, let's encourage division, right? Instead of that small thing going away like it should in a marriage where oneness is realized, right? Let's encourage the division instead. Let's stir the pot. Hey, Cameron, let's say something incredibly stupid in an opportune time. Right? All the time. Okay? Aiding and promoting those who could break up any alliances. Look, friends, I'm going to be straight up with you. Maybe I shouldn't be straight up right now. Some... Listen. Um, you better have your spouse as your best friend. And anyone that is of the opposite sex of you as not a very good friend. I mean, I have some really good friends who are women. Katie, great example. Fantastic friend. Known each other a long time. Been together, or uh, like done, like worked in ministry together. Our families are close. Like, great friend. Right? Not too good, though. Not because I don't love her. Right? But because not today, Satan. I love her more. And I, I know what you will do, Satan. I, 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 see, I see you. Right? You ain't, not today. Not my marriage. You ain't getting there. Right? Hey, Jake, can you put those back up for me? I'm kind of using your screen as a, yeah. Foster distrust. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. Encourage meaningless expenditure that reduces ability to mobilize elsewhere. Uh, we'll talk briefly about this, um, but uh, I'll close with this in, in, a, in a preparation for next week. Um, uh, your spouse is more important than your kids. Your spouse is more important than your children. Your relationship with your spouse is more important than your relationship with your children. You do not serve your children better by loving your spouse less. You do not, you do not, you, you do not parent better 
by putting your relationship with them or their life or their schedule or their priorities above your relationship with your spouse. You actually hurt your kids more by doing that. There are, there are numerous meaningless expenditures that reduce the ability for husband and wife to mobilize for oneness. Kids are probably top of the list. Why? Because no one wants to say that your kids should come not first, right? No one, no, no, like kids are, kids are a good thing, right? My, I want to be a good father. Yes, absolutely. You want to be a good mother. You want to be a good father, right? Right? You know what the enemy of great is? Good. God desires that my marriage to be great, to be one, to be united. And the enemy of that is all of the good things that I could do before I concentrate on oneness. Now, like I said at the beginning, um, I want to be so incredibly, incredibly sensitive to every situation in the room. Some of which I can imagine. Some of which I can't imagine. Okay? My heart is that um, through, through a faithful proclamation of the word that the Holy Spirit will, will meet with you, will speak to you, and will change you in some way, shape, or form through these three weeks. Okay? That's if you're married, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, if you're engaged, if you're a newlywed, married less than a year, or married, exactly how many years have you guys been married? Staley? 45? Kathy? 45. Whether you were married this year, or whether you've been married for 45 years, all right? Um, God will move in your life. The principles of his word, living by faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in every way, shape, and form, in every relationship of your life will change you unequivocally. Will change the world around you. As the worship team comes back up, let me, uh, let me close this in prayer. Father, uh, we thank you so much, Lord, for this time in your word this morning, and uh, even in the midst of what is, uh, can be messy, complicated, not clear-cut, emotionally charged, painful, Lord, I submit all these things to you. I submit all the realities to you, Lord. I submit all the possibilities to you. I lift up these people now here in this room, everyone hearing this message, Lord. That whatever reality that they are experiencing as it applies to marriage, Lord, that you would find them in the place that they are, speak to them and change them. In Jesus' name, amen.